Good morning, church. Um, so our reading for today is Hebrews 13, chapter, seven, or, well, chapter 13, verses 17 through 25. This can be found in a Bible or in your um, pamphlet this morning. Um, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, whom I shall, whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Well, good morning once again. Isn't it ironic that the writer to the Hebrews would finish up his letter in Hebrews chapter 13 and say, I've written to you briefly. It's one of the longest uh, sermon series that we've ever had, and it's, it's, uh, we're coming to an end of it. And a lot of times when I have to say goodbye to a book of the Bible that we've been studying together, it's like it's like an embrace at a train station where a loved one is about ready to take off on a train. You just, you just don't want to let go. And I feel like um, there have been so many riches in the book of Hebrews. And so here we are in the last and final section. Next, next week we're going to begin a series on the Gospel of Mark and go into some of the passion narratives, uh, the death of Christ, and... Uh, all of the stuff leading up to the resurrection and Easter. So we'll have, I'm really looking forward to next month, but I'm so glad that we get to talk about this topic of leadership today. Now, uh, a comment on the title. So the title of this sermon is Joyful Leaders and Those Who Partner With Them. So it's a little bit longer title, but I actually adapted it from a colleague by the name of Sam Storms, who was a pastor in Oklahoma, his title was Joyful Leaders and Those Who Follow Them. So I just changed it a little bit, and I'm gonna explain in a moment why. We could have said follow, because I think that's a good word to use, and we'll refer to that. But also, I, I do think that leadership uh, between, let's say, elders or a pastor and their congregation really is very much a partnership where both play a role in that. And uh, I think it's really important to talk about that as a church. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. How do, how do leaders in a congregation relate to a congregation and how do they work together? In the title, uh, the term joyful comes from verse 17 where it says that if you obey and submit to your leaders, uh, they have a lot of responsibility. And if you, if you let them do this with joy, if you, uh, if you have joy in your leaders, it will be of a significant benefit and advantage to you. So that's the title, Joyful Leaders and Those Who Partner With Them. I'd like to comment, though, on 
Because some of you might think, hey, I don't really think too much about leadership. Why is this an urgent topic at this juncture in the book of Hebrews? I want to tell you a couple of reasons why I think the topic of leadership is really important. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is writing to a church in the first century that is on the verge of some significant persecution from the Roman Empire. And so if you think back over the book of Hebrews, we get this wonderful description of why people should not drift away from Christ. They should stay focused on Christ. They should put him first, not go back to their old religion, not drift away from him. Because what was going on is that for all kinds of reasons, there were people in the book of Hebrews that were drifting away from Christ and uh, drifting away from the church. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, he says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there were the, the whole book of Hebrews is like a pastoral ex exhortation. I tell our elders it is the ultimate shepherding manual because it, it, just, it, just illustrate, it just captures the heart of a shepherd and the heart of a pastor for a congregation. So in the book of Hebrews, you could see why it was really important because people were drifting and it could be that these people were dismissive of their leaders and uh, it's possible for people to fall into being dismissive of the leadership that God has placed over them and that could have happened in the book of Hebrews as well. So you can see why he would, he would bring that up. At Lake Baldwin Church, uh, this is also a very important reason, uh, topic for several reasons. One is, uh, if you think back to the congregational meeting that we just had this morning, we are in the process of a pastoral transition where sometime in the future, uh, I will have the wonderful joy of entrusting the leadership of Lake Baldwin Church to my successor. There will be a new lead pastor. And so, uh, it's a great chance for you guys to think about what will be your relationship to this new senior pastor. Uh, I would say that in my own case, having been a pastor here for 16 years, I have served with great joy and I have experienced amazing partnership from all of you and from the leaders in this church. And so this, the title of the sermon totally fits what I have experienced here. But we do have this transition coming up and it may it may give you a little bit of uh, reason to think about what's the future going to be like, how do I relate to future leaders. But keep in mind that Hebrews 13, 17 uses the word leaders plural. In other words, it's not referring just to one person. In fact, our belief about leadership in the church is in a plurality of leadership. In other words, you have a leadership team. You don't just have a pastor, you have elders. We call the pastor a teaching elder. We call the rest of the elders, we call them ruling elders, but they share authority in the church, and so it's not a one-man show for a pastor. We don't have that model of having a celebrity pastor who makes all the calls and makes all the decisions. So I actually wanna use this sermon at another level, not just to get you to reflect upon the possibility of a new senior pastor, uh, in the future of this church, but to also think about the importance and role of the elders that God has given to this church, not just the present ones, but the need for future elders in this church. I wanna speak to all of us about the importance of spiritual leadership in the local church. 
and the part that we all play in that. Um, there's a great verse in Judges chapter 5, verse 1, that just talks about what happens when, when leaders lead and people partner with them and follow them and just what a, what a joy that is. It just, you're just part of a winning team when you get to do that. But I think all of you know you've been in situations before uh, where you've seen wires get crossed and misunderstandings happen and uh, power that's either abused or neglected or division in a church, all of that. So partnership is really important and this passage is really important. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at three things in this passage. One is we're gonna talk about what is God's call to followers? And uh, I'm actually gonna say this at the end of my first point. I too am a follower. So you need not hear this as, hey, Mike's telling all the followers what to do or anything like that. You're gonna see in a moment that I'm a follower too. But what is God's call to us all as followers? Secondly, what is God's call to leaders in this passage? What's their part in the partnership? And then finally, as always happens in the Bible, as always happens in the book of Hebrews, we're gonna talk about uh, the care of the great shepherd, which is what verse 20 talks about. We're gonna have that focus on Christ. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that this isn't just, isn't just a human organization? You know, Jesus in Mark chapter 10 drew a contrast between what you might call secular leadership and the leadership that Jesus modeled. He says, he's talking about the Roman leaders, and he said, all of you know leaders in the Gentiles that lord it over others. There's this phrase, lording it over. And it's a very hyper-authoritarian style of leadership. And Jesus saw, all you guys know about that, but then he says, it's not gonna be that way among you because the greatest person is the one who is a servant, who is slave to all. And then he says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he drove, drove a stake in the ground about the radical, upside-down, servant-oriented nature of spiritual leadership in the church. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have the gospel shape a church and shape leaders. So let's, let's talk about these points. We're gonna go into Hebrews 13 and verse 17. I want to invite you to look back at that. And let's talk about God's call to followers. God's call to followers. Verse 17 reads again, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So several things, let me just make some comments on these verses. Great instructions for all of us who are followers. There are two words at the beginning of this verse. The one is obey your leaders and the second is to submit to them. So um, let me comment on the meaning of the, those words obey and submit and how they work out in the church. Let me tell you what it doesn't, doesn't mean first of all. It does not mean blind obedience to a human leader. It doesn't mean that at all. 
Early in my uh, professional ministry career, I was under a leader, I was on a team, who was the epitome of lording it over. He was verbally abusive, he was authoritarian, he was demeaning, he was condescending. And um, the Bible doesn't teach that we are supposed to submit and obey abusive leadership. And I remember going through that time, I was a very young Christian and I was a part of this team. And I remember we actually had the opportunity to talk to you know, senior leaders about this individual to share our concerns about this person because they were, like I said, prideful and authoritarian. And I remember I had a colleague on my team and she made a comment about how this might affect the rest of our lives having been under this leader. And I'll never forget what she said. She says, for the rest of my life, this person is going to be for me a negative model of leadership. And I've never forgotten that. As Molly and I have been through different leadership roles, whether it's in the world of missions or whether it's in the world of, world of church, one of the things that we um, really have a, a, a sensitive meter about is the abuse of power in leadership and the risks of blind obedience. That's what cults are made of. That is what happens in churches. When leaders fall in a church, it's usually sex, money, or power. And a lot of times power, people get away with the abuse of power as long as they are successful because it's hard, it's hard to disagree, it's hard to differ. And so I want you to hear that this passage does not talk about blind obedience to an authoritarian leader. Now you say, well, Mike, I thought it just says obey your leaders. Well, let's talk about what these words mean. The first is the word obey. Actually, in the Greek language, and I learned this years ago from a commentator by the name of Ray Stedman, because I, I wasn't familiar with the Greek and what it meant. But he said, obey means obedience in response to persuasion. So uh, what, what some people translate the word obey, meaning be persuaded. In other words, be persuaded by the word of God. So in our congregation, a lot of you have heard me talk about our leadership culture here. It's not a command and control leadership structure. We refer to it as inspire and align. In other words, we cast vision, we talk about the word of God, we explain the vision, but we respect people as adults. We treat people like adults. And so we often say, uh, whether it's to new members in the church or people throughout our church, our volunteer system, it is okay to say no to the pastor. Why is that okay to say no to the pastor? Because the pastor doesn't have control over your time and your decisions and your choices. I can teach the word of God and I can invite you to join the team and to participate into the team, but it goes a lot better if you have the freedom to function as an adult and not in blind obedience like a child. So uh, think of this word obey as being persuaded. And you wanna, you wanna be a person who can be persuaded. You don't wanna be stubborn. You don't wanna be resistant. You want to hear the word of God. And then you want to go along with that. So that leads to the word submit. The word submit um, means to sort of go along with the plan. I like to use the term self-align. When somebody gets involved on a team, one of the things that mature people do is they self-align. I work with people like Mark McKinney, Heather Shiflett, Allison Epps. I work with people on our staff team. And you know what I really admire about them is their ability to self-align to the direction of the church. 
That just, that just to me shows a ton of maturity. Whenever I'm involved in hiring staff or when we're involved in sort of the examination process for elders, one of the questions that I asked is, does, is this person a team player? And the reason I ask that is not because we're looking for a yes man or a yes woman, but is it a person who has a track record of unresolved conflict, a track record of stubbornness, or do they have the ability to self-align and to be part of the team? This is important in business, it's important in sports, it's important in a lot of arenas, but it's also important in church leadership. And so that's how I understand the word submitting to the leaders. Now there's a couple of other things here, but I wanna comment, I made a, moment, I made a comment a moment ago about how in church we treat people like adults. Now some of you may have come from churches where you were treated like children and it was blind obedience. Um, but let me, let me say this about what maturity looks like as it relates to leader, leadership. Mature ability or mature people relate to leadership in healthy ways. Let me say that one more time. Mature people relate to leadership in healthy ways. So what does it look like when it's unhealthy? Well, the first would be blind obedience. If a person is always, if they, they don't feel like they can ever disagree with a leader, they have to be a yes person, and they're operating as a child and blind obedience, that's not healthy. But it's also not healthy to be on the other extreme where there's, where there's sort of, like I've seen, I've seen leaders, I've seen individuals operate in a little bit more of an adolescent way rather than a mature way. And so there's, in, in, a, in a church, you can't exactly, you know, be mean or be violent, but you can be passive aggressive. You can undermine leadership in subtle ways. You can gossip and you can sort of be bent on undermining leadership. So mature people don't do that. In a mature, healthy team, a mature, healthy environment, you have the ability to disagree, you have the freedom to say no, but you also have the maturity to self-align when there's disagreement. So um, I'll give you an example of that. Over the past couple of years, I think you guys are all aware that as a church, like all churches have gone through uh, significant cultural division in our country, significant political division in our country, and even over COVID and masks, all this divisiveness in our country. And so a couple of years ago, I remember saying to our elders, we're gonna have to talk about this cultural moment. And we began to engage our elders and engage our deacons in a process of setting direction. And uh, we have a very diverse church. We have diverse views about politics and about, about you know, COVID and masks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm aware of a lot of those views. So what we do is we followed a team approach and we set a trajectory that we felt was a good biblical trajectory for our church. And we would have people on both sides of the issue. And by and large, apart from a few cases, it was so wonderful to see the humility and the maturity of people at Lake Baldwin Church who not always agreed with, with when we would you know, regather or not regather or when there would be a mask requirement or not a mask requirement or uh, what was said or not said about the election or anything like that. But what we saw and what we proclaimed, what we preached is that we would be so shaped by the gospel that we would be governed by humility and we'd work together as a team. 
And by and large, I'm so grateful to all of you because that happened. And that's a, a wonderful example of Hebrews 13, 17 about obey and submit. Now, let me say this about, uh, I mentioned that I too am a follower, so before we close out this point, I wanna let you know a little bit about that. I am, uh, first of all, Lake Baldwin Church is not in its own orbit. Uh, Mike Tilley is not a rogue pastor. I don't decide stuff that I'm gonna take Lake Baldwin Church rogue, but we are connected to a family of churches called the Presbyterian Church in America. And years ago, I learned the benefits of what's known as connectionalism, meaning we're not in our own orbit, we're connected with other churches, and so you have a built-in self-correcting mechanism. I am submissive, I am accountable to my colleagues in churches all across Central Florida, and I really think that's a great thing. I think it's good for our church, and I think it's good for me, and I think it's good for my character that I don't get to be rogue. Secondly, I am a man under authority as it relates to our own church because we believe in a plurality of leaders, so we have elders who possess equal authority to me and they can overrule me. So they know, they know my life, they know my marriage, they know my heart, and we have vigorous debates about things as elders and there are times when I do not get my way. So I can think of a time last year where I wanted something to happen, I proposed something, but uh, the elders disagreed with me and it didn't happen. But I have taken a vow to be, and here's how the wording in the vow goes, I have taken a vow to be subject to my brothers in the Lord. That is my fellow pastors, that is, uh, that is our elders. In fact, even beyond that, Within the context of our church, we have a lot of different leaders, and so you all elected last August a pastor search committee that would go ahead and lead us in our pastor search. That was a great opportunity for me to just take my hands off the steering wheel and let them lead, let them do their job. That's what they were called to do. And so over the course of the time, one of the things that I've been delighted to do is to, is to obey and submit, meaning, not that I would even disagree, I don't disagree, but I self-align to uh, the pastor search committee so that they could have the, f uh, the freedom to do their job in a zero gravity environment, not altered by Mike Tilley's involvement or correction or control of what they do. It's a way that I get to submit. And to me, I hope that Brad Houdeschelt, who was the chairperson of that committee, I would say I hope he did it with great joy because he, it, he, because he was uninterrupted by me or other people, and I hope the team did it with great joy. If we, if we hire the next senior pastor and I'm around and part of the team for a while, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna obey and submit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheer for this person, I'm gonna self-align, and I actually told Brian, who is our candidate that's being recommended, I said, Molly and I talk about this, our word for this process is joy. We want you and your wife, Debbie, to feel great joy in this transition. And so it's just a wonderful thing to be part of a team in that way. Let's go on to God's call to leaders. So there's a call to followers. Hope you're good with that, what this verse says. But let's look at the call to leaders. He says, look back to verse 17. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be 
of no advantage to you. So uh, when you think about the call to leaders, now admittedly, this is a passage that is a call to followers, but it says something about leaders. They says that they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account to God. So um, some really good things about, about leadership. We're gonna see in a moment that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, and the metaphor or the word picture that the Bible uses for elders in the church is the shepherd. If you go to 1 Peter 5, it says to the elders, shepherd the flock. That is the commandment to the elders. And did you notice in verse 17, it says that if you let your elders do this with joy, then it will be, if you don't let them, it will be of no advantage to you. But if you let them do this with joy, it will be of great benefit to the church. It will be of great benefit to your life because they are called by God. They are placed in this position to look after the welfare of your soul. So what do elders do in Lake Baldwin Church? Well, we had a membership class this weekend. We had a wonderful time Friday night, Saturday morning. Yesterday, we explained what elders do in this church. And I wanna remind you about that because I, number one, want to encourage our elders, but number two, I want to remind you that you are part of a shepherding plan in this church that is designed for your care. So let me tell you four things that elders do. First of all, they know the flock or they know the sheep in the church. That's what all shepherds do, like shepherds who shepherd sheep, they know their flock. So what you'll find if you become a member of Lake Baldwin Church, that there will be an elder assigned to you and part of his job is to know you. It doesn't mean that you will be best friends, it doesn't mean that that person is your mentor, it doesn't mean that they're your community group leader, but they know you enough to pray for you. And so when they invite you to send prayer requests, send them an email, pray for me in this area, because they want to know you. The second thing that elders do, the second part of shepherding, is what we call feeding the flock. So um, Psalm 23 talks about how the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside uh, quiet waters and green pastures so that we can feed. And so what shepherds do in the church is they want to feed the flock. Now I have the role of feeding our church the word of God. It's my calling as a teaching elder. But we have a teaching fellowship where some of our elders are teaching up there. We have community groups led by elders or non-elders. But the goal of our elders is that you are in a spot where your soul can be fed the nutrition of grace and be fed the word of God. So feeding the flock. Number three, first knowing the flock. Second, feeding the flock. Third is leading the flock. Leaders are called in our church, elders are called to first of all lead by example, to be a part of worship, to be a part of the activities of the church, but also they look into the future. The Bible describes them as overseers, episcopos, looking beyond ourselves, and so our elders are the stewards of the ministry plan of our church. We work together with our deacons and with others, with our staff, to chart the course for the, we don't just think about the present, we think about the future of the church, and elders are the stewards of God's vision for this church, so they lead the church, and the number four, they guard the church. 
Acts 20 talks about this where Paul talked to the Ephesian elders and he said, you've got to guard the flock because false teachers and false teaching can come in. And so elders are called to guard the flock from false teaching, from division, from things that can be destructive to individuals and families. It's not a model of being like the police or anything like that, but they are called as shepherds to take that role. This is to your advantage. This is, a, this is really a, a blessing, but these elders are accountable to God for that. And so what that does is it is a sobering thought to realize as elders that we are accountable to God for Lake Baldwin Church. And I, I'm so grateful for the elders that we have because they get to take that job seriously. I want to comment on a verse that's in, your, uh, in the quotes section of your bulletin. It's 1 Timothy 3, chapter 1, because some, you guys might be feeling, hey, we're raising the bar for this. We have actually five ruling elders right now and one teaching elder, that's six of us, but we have a growing church, and we have um, some elders that have been on it for a long time, so we believe it's healthy for them and healthy for the church that they would rotate off and we bring in other people as elders. And so I want to make a comment about the urgent need for the future of the church and for the welfare of this church for God to raise up individuals who are called and qualified. So think about this, 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. That's a verse in your quote section. It says that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it is a noble task to which he aspires. Think about that for a second. The, the calling of an elder is a noble task. Some of you here might feel inadequate. I know that I feel inadequate. Our current elders feel inadequate. But it says this is a noble task. So I want you to think about this. If you get nominated for the office of elder, and especially if a lot of people nominate you for the office of elder, we are going to let you know about that as elders and I want to challenge you, first of all, to not say yes too quickly to that because what you want to do is wait for what we call the external call. You'll be examined by our elders, our current elders, and you'll be voted on by the congregation. That's really comforting to get that external call. So don't say yes too quickly, but I want to say something else. Do not say no too quickly. Do not say no too quickly. Do not say no because of a feeling of inadequacy. Do not say no because I just don't have time. I'm going to let other people do it. Do not say no too quickly because this is an office that is a noble task. And right now at this time in our church, um, we have some of our, especially our more veteran elders, it is an incredible opportunity to be around those guys and to learn from them. So I want to I really uh, challenge those of you that are qualified to be elders to invite God to work in your heart so that you yourself would feel not just the external call, but the internal call to this noble task. Last point in our sermon. You'll see it in verse 20. We often read this as a benediction, but I want to I want to read it to you because it's so, it's so great to think about our, good our great shepherd. All of us as elders are simply under shepherds. We are weak. You can see in verse 18 that the writer here says, pray for us because leaders need grace to fulfill what God has called them to do. But look at verse 20. 
We actually have a great shepherd over the whole process, and it's Jesus Christ. This makes Christian leadership so different from any other type of leadership. Look at verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I wanna talk for a minute about this great shepherd. I, wanna put, I want us as a church to put our hope in the great shepherd. I want our current elders and future elders to put your hope in the great shepherd. First of all, it says in this passage that he, this, this great shepherd, he was brought again from the dead. Our Lord Jesus was brought again from the dead. What happened when that, as it relates to his church? In Ephesians chapter four, it says that Christ was raised up and he ascended to the Father and he became the head of the church. So one of the things you've got to remember is that Mike Tilley is not the head of this church in the future. If God calls Brian Lumshu Chan to be our next lead pastor, he is not the head of the church, but it is the great shepherd who is the head of the church. Number two, in Ephesians chapter four, it says that the ascended Christ is the one who gives gifts to his church. What are those gifts? They are human leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so when you get that next pastor, they are called by God. When you get elders, they are placed there by Christ. Now we follow up, we all are involved in that process. So several weeks ago, I sent out a letter to all the members, said, please send me your nominations for elders. If you haven't done that, we would still take those nominations because that is a responsibility and a privilege of church membership that you would nominate people who you think have the character and the track record to serve in the office of elder or deacon or deaconess in this church. So you have a part in that process. Our current elders have a part because they examine people. They examine them about their family, about their theology, and about their character. And so that is part of that process as well. But we believe, we believe that behind that process is the good the great shepherd himself, the ascended Christ who gives these leaders to the church. Finally, we notice in this verse that this great shepherd does even more. He equips all of us to do his will. If you're a follower in this church, one of the things that God has done for you is he has given you spiritual gifts. He has given you a place on this team and you are a steward of all of the resources that God has given to you. You are a steward of that and he calls you because he has equipped you to engage. So don't sit on the sidelines. Don't take a pass. Don't leave it to other people. Ask the great shepherd how he wants to equip you to use your gifts in the body of Christ, in his church. Don't pass it up. Engage, engage in the work of the church. He equips you, but not only that, he equips church officers. And so again, if you feel like, boy, I just don't know if I could, if I could do it. I remember when I first became an elder, I think I was in my early 30s. And I wasn't reaching out to some of the older people that God had called me to shepherd. And I remember the pastor coming alongside me and he said, Mike, God has called you to this position you take the initiative. I was feeling intimidated. I was feeling weak. But I realized that this is a call of God and he is the one 
who equips us to do this. So isn't it, isn't it wonderful that we have a great shepherd? Isn't it wonderful that we have the Lord Jesus Christ? So back to this point, the call to followers, the call to leaders, and the care of the great shepherd. I close with this story. Uh, some of you may have heard me share this before, but I want to tweak it just a little bit. When our son Jonathan was in middle school, he played football. He played with pads and tackle football and all that kind of stuff. And he and I used to be, we lived up in Richmond, Virginia. We lived in a cul-de-sac. And I used to throw football passes to Jonathan. And he would catch them. And I was, uh, back in those days, the famous players were Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. So I was Joe Montana. He was Jerry Rice. And my perfect spiral passes, passes would float down into his arms. And he was just dreaming and dreaming of having this role on the football team. Well, when he got on the football team, the coach decided to give him a less visible role, what appeared to him as a less important role, and he had to do that. And I had a conversation with Jonathan about that, about his coach, about self-aligning, about being part of the team, part of a winning team. And I said these words to Jonathan. I said, Jonathan, where you play is up to the coach, but how you play is up to you. Now in this church where you play, actually the coach is Christ himself, he's given you gifts. You have a ton of freedom to choose where you will play, where you will volunteer, where you will serve in this church. But it is still true that how you play is up to you. So I challenge you this morning, let's be a winning team. Let's be a winning team where leaders lead and the congregation partners with them. Will you do that? Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. This is your word. We don't really have any choice but to bow before your word this morning. So we pray that you would raise up leaders for the future of Lake Baldwin Church, that you would raise up the future elders, under shepherds of this church. We pray for your wisdom in the upcoming decision and vote about Brian Lumshu Chan. And if you call him to this church, Lord, we pray that it would be an amazingly wonderful transition, trusting you that our best years are ahead of us. But Lord, there are challenging gospel humility character issues here, so we pray for your work of grace in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.